we're trying to create that situation where you're not on time. And then when you're not, what are you going to do? Figure it out. You know, you might have to speed up. You might have to slow down. You might be off your timing and you might look ugly, but that happens. Hey guys, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve, your source for the most up-to-date coaching strategies for player and coaching development. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner. Today we are joined by a Twitter legend, Coach Craig Hyatt. Coach Hyatt is an assistant coach at East Valley High School in Yakima, Washington. And on the show, we talk about why he started his Twitter account, but we also get into how he uses that video to help his players come up with plans for success. Welcome, Coach Craig Hyatt. Hey, Coach Hyatt. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Jonathan. It's it's great to be on. I know I'm just doing listening to podcasts when I work out, and, and it's probably one of the greatest things that you can do as a coach is uh, just just learn as you're you're doing your daily routine. And to be on here now after listening to several of them and, and being a guest is kind of surreal for me. So I appreciate that, and thank you, and thank you for doing this. Oh, absolutely. I've had a blast so far, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I know you're going to bring a lot of insight. For the listeners that don't necessarily know a, a little bit about you, can you tell us about your story, and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I think my story is really just about having a great first year of teaching. You know, I graduated with a teaching degree um, from Central Washington University and got a job, a middle school job, and in that first year, I was, what, 23 years old? Got a middle school job doing health and fitness, uh, which is interesting in itself, and then landed three coaching jobs. I was a middle school football coach, middle school basketball coach, and then a high school baseball coach. And then also, on top of that, had my first child. So I think just getting through that first year led me today. And now, 19 years later, I, my, my daughter is graduating, and I'm still coaching eighth grade football for 19 years. Uh, eighth grade basketball for 19 years and now my I just finished my 20th year coaching baseball and I'll tell you I, I definitely have some gray hairs going through all that and but it's been really really enjoyable they talk about your first year teaching being survive in advance <laughs> it definitely I, wow definitely. I can only imagine how that first year went with three sports and a kid on the way yeah I joke and I ask I wonder how long I can keep this up but I've still here still going still loving it still doing it and then, of course, you know, playing-wise, I, I did the typical three-sport thing, but then obviously baseball was my thing. And I think, you know, I don't think I was ever meant to be really good because I got hurt every time I started getting good. But I think I learned a lot through that process. I had surgery on my shoulder in high school. I was a catcher-pitcher, and that, of course, ended. Um, and after that, I think my, really, my, my only goal was to try to finish college and play four years of college. And I fought through the injuries of broken collarbone and broken broken wrist, but then just kind of got through it. And through that process, I was able to play a lot, several different positions and learn a lot of different positions. And and I think that is, you know, through the coaching of the basketball of middle school and learning patience and, and coaching football and high school and, and playing several positions, that's kind of led to the coach that I am today. And um, I don't think I would trade it for anything. You run a fantastic Twitter account that puts out tons and tons of hitting video so what prompted you to start it and then just continue to put out info, really, I mean, by the hour? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, even through my, I teach health and we talk about social media and I, I kind of laugh and joke because I tell them and warn them about overposting and I'm laughing because, you know, of course, 
you guys see how much I put out there, but um, I really enjoy it. And you can probably tell the reason why I put out so much is because I, I love doing it. I think the process, though, I mean, the real backstory is just me on a, on a quest to find out information myself. I remember I was in the cage one summer. I stopped coaching summer ball, but I was still helping hitters, and the hitters were walking in. And I was sitting in the cage, and I was working on some things, and I think, I think they started harass, harassing me a little bit about my swing. So then I started showing off and, and taking these huge, just monster hacks. But what I noticed was the bigger the hack I was trying to take, I was just hitting seeds to the back top of the net, and just it felt fantastic. And I kept on trying to, you know, get the ball higher and higher and higher, and I couldn't do it, but I was still just hitting rockets. And it felt really good. And I remember going home, and I started digging around some stuff, and it led me to Twitter. And I used to make fun of Twitter. I thought it was just something for celebrities, and, and it was nothing I was going to be a part of. But then I got on there, and I'm like, man, there's guys talking about baseball in here. I mean, there's guys posting things, and there's information. And I was like, wow, there's a whole community of just people talking baseball. And then they're posting these gifts, and I'm like, what's a gift? And I tried to figure out how to make that. And then I ran into Sunday Swings. I'm like, well, this is pretty cool. Um, and I started started making my own, and they were horrible at the beginning, and, and then just kept on doing it and doing it. And I think it was Dustin Lynn that contacted me one time and asked if, you know, if we could put some videos together. And, and he created his incredible resource um, that he has. And I just kept on doing it, and through that process, got better. And really, the only goal I had was just to kind of just show what I was learning. I was doing my own research, and Twitter was just me sharing what I was learning. After that summer, so after that, when I was doing that research, after that summer, that winter, I started writing a book, and I wanted to put together, I wrote an iBook, actually. So I had video and video analysis, about 50 pages, and I, it was basically like a hitting manual for our, for our team. And I was digging up video for that. And then I was just kind of posting it um, to Twitter and people started liking it and giving me feedback a little bit and comments. And, and so it just continued. Then I got a little better at it, I guess. Um, and then it just kind of started taking off. And, and, you know, there was actually some times where I thought I was going to stop doing it. And then I kept on getting these great messages from um, people saying how much they appreciate and love that I was posting things and how much has helped them. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to keep on doing this. And that's kind of where we're at, at today. So can you tell us what your daily process looks like? Because I feel like if I did what you did and uploaded video by the hour, then I would constantly be glued to the computer. Well, it's kind of funny. So I have a pretty good setup here. And, and I joke with my other coaches because, I, you know, we call it the command center. But I got a triple monitor I, I got the apple tv so i'm hooked up through uh espn watch espn so i can get some games there i also have the subscription for mlb tv so i'm getting games i'm on mlb.com all the time uh digging through their video resources and then what i did is i got really good at finding what i needed and i, and I learned how to search it just progressed from there and then so I'll get up on uh, MLB and, and they'll post that someone had a home run and I'll look it up and I have certain guys that I like to look at. But, you know, I guess I'm in a time in my life where my kids are grown and, you know, in the mor every morning I'll wake up instead of people, a lot of people, you know, read the paper. I'll get up and look at some videos and put something together and, and post something, go to work and come home and do it again. And um, I just really enjoy doing it. And I'm, 
I'm just thankful that people are are uh, still watching them and enjoying them. Well, let me just say thank you for putting all of that stuff out there. I know that because of your video and because of Dustin Lynn's hitting drive, I've become a better coach. But let's get into the player development section. You talked about having an ebook that you gave to your players and that really started by working on your own swing. So how do you decide what your players need to work on? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's always that moment where you're seeing a hitter for the first time. And I know with our freshmen coming in, I always give them a speech first of, you know, guys, if you want to play varsity baseball and if you want to get to the playoffs, we're going to run into that guy. There's going to be that guy that's a D1 pitcher that's throwing 85-90 with the slider and the curveball and the change, and, and he might be really on. <laughs> and so if you can't hit that right now, we have some work to do, and, and that's kind of how we set the tone with that. And then there's some observation of, of each hitter. And for me, I just kind of, you know, and actually through all the video that I do, I've kind of trained my eyes to slow down the swing, and I try to look at different parts of the swing. Um, whether it's just I'll look at the back leg or the front leg or the back arm, front arm, or just the top, the bottom. And then, of course, the sequence and then swing speed and then just kind of go through there or go through that process. And usually, you know, something's going to stand out. And, and I have a swing coordination, I think, is, is a big concept for me. And, and there's always going to be a piece that doesn't fit in or there's something that's going to hold a player back. And so, you know, you had that first observation. And then from there, you try to put them in to some different hitting situations and see what they can do. You know, if they pass the eye test and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Well, let's see what happens when you get a curveball. Let's see when you get, you know, a pitch down away. Let's see uh, something hard in and, and, and then go from there and kind of put a program together for the kids. I know this year we've made a lot of changes that I'm really excited about with, um, kind of how we start that process with our hitters. And, and really, it, it starts with a lot of clarity of what we're trying to do, our intent and our process. And then through a course of drills that we put together, we kind of identify some things. And then we kind of give them a program that they're going to have time in practice that they're going to work on their individual stuff, and then we're going to do some team stuff. And it just kind of takes off from there. You know, besides the Major League video that you put out, I really liked what you guys did in the spring where you every now and then you would post a video of your practices. So I found that really intriguing. But, you know, from a hitting standpoint, what are some of the most common problems that you see with kids? Well, I think, you know, usually there's some kind of sequence problem and it's going to be usually they're going to be because it's coached into them. Or they just don't understand their power source, and and usually it's it's the dominance of the the hands, and, and you know making the contact stuff, and then a lot of it too is kids just pick the wrong style, and, and I I believe style matters, you know the kid that has the open stands, the closed stands, the hands high, the hands low, the kick non kick, and you got to ask them why, I mean why are you doing that, and. Sometimes they don't have an answer. Sometimes they say it's comfortable. Sometimes they've been told to do that. And I, I think it's really those three things is um, understanding how the body loads and the, um, and the pro- process of sequence of the swing. And then them just not understanding. And they're either copying something. Uh, they've been coached a certain way. 
and then just kind of dive it into that and ask the right questions and, and trying to get something that matches their body uh, and matches how they move. And just the series of questions, you'll find that out. So you've basically put out an infinite amount of hitting video, and I'd like to know, what are your thoughts on the term absolutes? Are there any, or is that just a term that people throw around way too much? Yeah, I try to stay away from that. It's hard. Sometimes you, you can find a clip. You can find a clip of a hitter doing something and kind of say, you know, they're doing this, 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 this. But the problem is, even with these elite hitters, they have some vari- variability within their own process. I mean, even when Donaldson's talking about landing open and doing this stuff, and I can pull up several videos where his foot's closed, slightly open, way open. He might be trying to get open and he wants to get open, but the pitch really determines how open he gets. And to be fixated, I think, on one swing from one player um, when not knowing the context of that swing, I, I think it's dangerous. And then trying to come to a conclusion that there's absolutes and all elite hitters do this. I think there's some, uh, obviously, there's some concepts that guys do. Um, I think there's a lot of variability in how they go about it. And I, I don't know. I'm just not willing to say that all guys do this, all guys do that. I think elite hitters, they hit. And, and why they hit, I, I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, from from the mentality, you know, obviously their swing is good. But, you know, what, what makes a MLB guy who's hitting 270 with 80 RBIs and 15 home runs, how does he get to that next tier? Is it... Is it because of his swing or is it his approach? Is it the mentality? Is it is it his diet? Is it his sleep? Is it, you know, is it, what is it? Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I try to stay away from some absolutes as far as specific mechanics of the swing um, because, uh, you know, I can post a Will Myers and I can post a Donaldson and a Trout and there's going to be some concepts that are, that are very similar in the, and a bat and a ball in the human body, there's some things that are going to be the same, but there's going to be some differences. And I don't know, I just kind of, I don't go all in on that. Or at least I haven't. I try not to. Now, you mentioned earlier that you tried to individualize a plan for each of your kids. Now, that's a lot easier than it sounds because I'm a high school coach and you're a high school coach and most of our listeners are high school coaches as well. And so we're talking about working with 20 to 30 kids at a time. So what's your best advice on how to individualize training with that many kids? So at the beginning of the year, and we're kind of blessed because we have four full-length cages. So I can take 16 hitters in there, and we can go through some drills in there, getting some time. We'll split them in half, the cages in half. And we have a lot of guys that can hit at once. So we're a little spoiled on all turf and everything right next to our field. And so it's, it's kind of a nice setup. But at the beginning of the year, I'll run them through what I believe to be, you know, eight to ten different drills. And then they're going to go, I'm going to force them to go through all those. And then essentially what they're going to do is learn them, understand them. Really what's key is some clarity of why you do it. Here's what I've found, that if they really don't understand how it applies to them in a game, they might do the drill right for a practice or two, and then they'll start doing it wrong. And if you're not watching them, that great drill that you're, that they're doing becomes a horrible drill for them because they're actually doing it wrong, and they're creating worse habits than they had before. 
So they really have to understand how it applies for them to do it right and do it well. But essentially, they're going to pick three or four that they like, that they feel like they need. And then we'll have the conversation about that, what's good for them, what's specific for them, and they'll have three or four. So then, like, essentially on a game day, we'll have 30 minutes in the cage before a game. And I don't say anything on game days, but they have developed their own individualized plan to go through and hit for those 30 minutes, and they do what they need to do. I don't say a thing. It's their time. Game day is their time, and and they're going through their process, and each kid has their own routine that they do. And they just have to kind of be on the same page with the guy that throws to them and work together. But they'll go from, you know, short cage to three-quarter cage to uh, front uh, front toss drills with you know, some constraint-type drills or some halfway home-type situations, um, some hover drills, and, and they'll pick it out. Practice-wise, one of the things I've done is I kind of reverse my coaching. Instead of standing by the cage and barking out cues, what I've done is, since they had that routine, I feel comfortable with them kind of being on their own. And so when they're in the cages, I'll actually take a player or two from the cages and we'll go out on the field and hit and I'll just work individually with that player and then I'll build kind of with them through a conversation of you know you really need to do this and we'll do you know angle toss and and uh, some different types of drills and then we'll have the conversation and the great thing is when you have to go pick up the baseballs you'll have the conversation I said you know and I'll tell them you got to work on your you know, bat speed. You got to work on the inside pitch, your barrel path, this, or your, you know, your balance or direction on this pitch, and, and even the mentality or approach of their at-bats. And so kind of flipping that, what I've noticed with kids today is they get a little embarrassed, like when they get coached in front of their peers. And so if you can just kind of keep that, uh, you know, personal with them and build a plan, and in that situation, they're willing to experiment and fail. So I'll give them some goofy drills um, that they're going to fail at, and they're more willing to, to, to fail away from their, their teammates. And then they'll build some confidence, and that becomes their routine. And they've been allowed to do a little bit more on their own through that process and building that plan. I think it's really worked for them. Can you go into what your drills are that you said that you start with or your your force drills, and then you kind of deviate? But can you tell us what those drills are? Yeah. So. There's a couple that I really like. One is a, we call it a 45 backside drill. Um, essentially, it's a front, front toss drill. We're open at a 45 degree angle. Uh, our feet are at our bat length apart. And then essentially, we're going to have a vertical barrel and we're going to drop, drop back slowly. And then we're just going to kind of isolate the top of the backside getting behind the baseball and that, that, back hip going and the back leg releasing. The back leg kind of stays pointed at the pitcher. And then what we're trying to do is circle the top half behind the bottom half, and it kind of creates that getting behind the baseball sequence. From there, we'll go into a hover drill where we just have the leg up, and then the pitcher will either either throw it a, a front toss fastball or kind of hold it up as a changeup, and then they're just working on back leg timing. Then they'll go into a halfway home drill. It's the Tewksbury drill that has become very popular. Actually, it's one of my favorite drills. So we'll isolate the timing there with a vertical barrel, uh, front heel up, and essentially they're going to allow allow the ball to travel until it's halfway there, and then they're going to sequence behind the baseball. And, and that, that drill alone, they're 
is a great drill to just uh, evaluate players and their ability to understand timing and sequence. Then we have a whole bunch of other things where we'll go way middle in with the front toss. Um, we'll go low high. We'll go fast slow. We'll go front to back where you move up to a, a plate and go backwards. We'll go a half cage overhand. Uh, we'll go a three length cage. And so some guys will do a one handed drill. Some guys will try to stay away from the more linear movements and because they'll just concentrate more on the rotational stuff um, because that's their problem anyways. Um, but yeah, there's a series of things that we'll try and experiment with. And, and essentially, they'll pick three or four of those that are absolute drills that they do all the time. And then sometimes I force them to do different things. So how do you evaluate whether the plan that you and the player have put into place is working or not? Yeah, so I think, you know, this is where I'd love with the data these days and the bat sensors. I would love, you know, to have that data and have a sensor on every bat, but it's just, I'm not there yet. But I would love to say, yeah, your bat, you know, speed is increased and your launch and your attack angle and all that. I, I wish I was there, but essentially we can get out on the field and if, if they can have some true flight with some good sound um, and get some distance on the ball. That alone is going to be feedback as they, you know, if they're hitting the ground balls and I'll tell them to get the ball in the air or whatever, and they add a little tilt and they, you know, speed up the torso and get the barrel through and they get that true flight, uh, you know, essentially we'll just stop and have a conversation. I said, that was really good. Why was that good? And then they start to learn. And then, you know, in the game they're I think this year we've, we've seen a drop in strikeouts and, and that's some feedback we've, We've increased our um, slugging percentage. The ball's carrying a little farther. We're driving a little bit more. I I had one kid last year. I think he hit like 220, and he was he's that typical, you know, to the ball, straight to the ball type of hitter, and he grounded out, grounded a double plays, hit 220 last year, made some swing changes with him this year, added a little tilt and an understanding of getting the ball or get behind the ball and get the ball in the air a little bit, and he ended up hitting 370. And so you see the growth there. and you, So you have, you have the stats. You have your traditional stats. But you also have in practice, what are you seeing with ball flight and direction? And then we set up the adjustability drills where we're using machines and curveball and, and creating some situations where it's really difficult. And they're, they're finding little successes through the practice getting rewarded in the games and they see that growth and you know it's always that moment where they say oh that's why i need to do that that's why that helps whoa that feels really good and it's that dialogue between the hitter of feel and outcome and and the mindset and the process behind it when that all comes together i think you're going to get the feedback and, and data that you want um, when kids stop swinging at curveballs in the dirt because they have you know a good sequence and the, the hands are behind the body and and they're not swinging everything and, and you just got to point those things out and once you once they understand that um, the results will come man i'm right there with you you know i think most coaches live for those aha moments like that where you have that one kid who just doesn't get it and finally they do and it's just that special moment of wow you've put in this work and we've done this together that I'm just extremely proud that they got to where they are. I love that. So what does your off-season program look like? 
So, you know, it's tough. It's tough. One, it's Northwest. We, you know, we have the winter and um, it's uh, tough to be outside. And we also have the rule where we have a zero contact. So what is it? Um, March, February, sometimes February when we start, it's a zero contact. So I, I cannot be with a hitter. And so we'll have practice number one and I'll have some, you know, we'll have 10 practices before our first game. Sometimes it's 12, 13, 14 practices before our first league game. And depending on our schedule, it could be a tough first league game. And so I only have so many days to get these guys ready. And it's, and it's really tough on the pitchers because we, just, we don't have contact with them. So we're hoping that they go out on their own. And we have some indoor facilities around here. And we give them a program, and hopefully they're, they're following that. I'm big on the overload, uh, uh, underload bats, and we put that into our season's uh, practice, and I'm trying to get the guys doing that on a routine. I think, once again, I'll mention Dustin Lynn. I think that was his program that I that I gave them, and, and hopefully they're doing it. You know, what bothers me is there's kids that will hit all winter, or they think they're hitting all winter. Essentially, they'll swing all winter in a cage, and they don't get better, and if they had bad habits, they, they reinforce those bad habits, and Sometimes I wish they had just get in the weight room, just get in the weight room, and and then we'll we'll figure out the swing later. Just get stronger, but yeah, I, I think I'd rather take that than the kid that just minus minusly swings all winter, uh, doesn't really get better, and reinforces their bad habits. But we're a smaller school too, so a lot of kids are coming out of basketball, coming out of wrestling, so it's a challenge, and we got to be really creative. Well, I can only imagine not being able to see, you know, we're in Texas and we get to see most of our kids year round. And I gripe about the hour and a half that we have them during the fall. So I'll have to, I'll have to watch my, what I say from now on after yeah. doing that. Well, you know, we have to, it's good though, because there's some urgency. I mean, I think the coaches, coaches in Northwest and not just Northwest, but in our situation, there's some urgency. And I think coaches here get really creative with their time and, yeah, we just can't sit back and wait. We got to get after it, and, and I think that is—it's uh, a challenge, but I think it's a good challenge. And I think there's a lot of good things coming out of that. Really, you know, I'd rather—I I wish I could be with the hitters all winter. I would take that in a second, but we do what we can. And but I think it's—it's it's allowed us to be a little bit more creative and and think of ways to try to compete with everyone else around the. I mean, our kids are trying to get to the same college scholarships as everyone else, and we got to find ways to do that for them. The coaches up north are definitely the most creative, especially having to deal with all the weather and then obviously non non contact with with those kids all all winter as well. So, uh, hats off to you guys for doing a well. Yeah, a great and, job. and we can we can have them in the summer. Um, it just depends on what they decide. Uh, you know, I'll run individual hitting sessions with some of our guys, but a lot of them are going off and playing Legion, playing other select teams, which is great. But my main time is. Through the spring, and I got to be careful with that because we're trying to win ball games, but I'm also trying to develop players. And how you know, it, it's tough to really change a swing, you know, mid mid April when you're trying to get into the playoffs, and and so there's a balance of what can I do with a kid? I want this kid to get you know develop and be really good, and but I don't want him going over twenty the next couple of weeks either. You know what I mean? Definitely. And so, what are your thoughts on building competition into practices? Yeah, I, I think creating pressure 
you know, I go back back and forth with the competition thing. I, you know, I think they, by nature, they need to be competitive. We need to set up situations, um, especially if they're good. The players are good. we got to create a little pressure. And I think, you, you know, whether it's putting the machine up on high and creating some challenges for them, you got to force – force them to struggle, force them to continue to work on things. You know, as far as competition individually, it might be, it might be just being challenged in the hitter. I said, you know, you're going to get 10 baseballs here. Let's, let's see if you can, every ball, get the ball in the gap or, or, you know, uh, some of the kids, you know, get the ball of the yard, take it out. Let's see if you can take it out. My, my high school coach, I mean, he, he was good. And it kind of goes back to, a lot of stuff I hear. I think I was very fortunate because I was never told to um, – I wasn't told much. I was told to actually just crush the ball. <laughs> Have some rhythm, crush the ball, and he used to bet me a dollar to see if I could get the ball to the fence or not. And I think just challenging kids to do that, you know, there will be, be times when we're all in the cage and we'll do, you know, loudest sound competitions. Who can, who can make the loudest sound off the bat will win. Um, we'll have the pitchers, we'll have a team of hitters and a team of pitchers in the cage and you get one swing and if you hit the ball, you know, this part of the cage, you'll get a point and we'll do team competitions in the cages or we'll just have one hitter and you know, what hitter can stay up there the longest hitting the, you know, whatever ball we want to hit in the cage and, and do little things like that. I And I think if anytime the kids are getting bored, just stop what you're doing and, and do some competition. You don't want them sitting there taking hacks where they're just, you know, not thinking about it. Just stop practice at that point. Create some competitive drill. Um, get them a little excited and get them competing. I know for defense, we'll do situations where last man standing with ground balls, you know, and the kids love that. Everyone get a short stop and we'll hit rockets at you. And the guy that feels them clean, you know, is last man standing kind of thing. And we'll, we'll create some pressure on, uh, we'll, we have these things called make a play. And they get points for it. Um, offensively, we might have a group of four hitters out on the field with a defense, and we'll start with a runner at second base. And whatever team scores the most runs and so many outs, they'll get rewarded. But yeah, anytime you can do that, I think uh, is key. But I think just adding pressure, challenging hitters. A lot of times we try to focus on the kids that really need to improve, but we leave the good hitters alone or the good players. We got to keep on challenging those guys too. Man, I really like that. Now, I love competing in everything that we do, so that really hit home with me. But what is something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? Probably just, you know, probably how we changed how we hit. Adding the machine, you know, so we started a situation where we got out of the cage, essentially. Instead of spending a lot of time in the cage, we hit more on the field. And I think that seeing how that process went this year, uh, we would set up situations. And like you said before, I had posted them a little bit where we would have an angle toss and, and we might use an underload bat or we'll go overload, underload, regular bat. We'll incorporate a machine and we'll go a curveball, then a pull side angle toss with an underload. And we'll just challenge hitters. And then maybe we'll even, through that process, we'll game plan. If we know we're going to face a guy with a slider or a guy that's going to throw a fastball away from us or a guy that has a two-seam running in, we'll go out on the field and, and set up situations that recreate that situation or those at-bats and those pitches that you're going to see in the game and, and work on that. And then what happens is the players, you know, I really don't have to say much. 
if the ball's flying out where it should fly and, it, and it's feeling right, that's the feedback for the hitter. And I don't have to sit there and say that was good. And in the cage, in the cage, you can get away with a lot of things. I mean, you can cut the ball. In a short cage, guy throwing overhand, you can cut it in half, and it creates, you know, that spin, and it appears to be a great hit. You get out on the field, and it travels 120 feet, and it doesn't have any carry. It might be hooking or slicing. It's not true flight. And I think that feedback of just being more on the field um, is better for the hitter. And they just don't have to sit there and listen to me, tell them what's good or bad. They can see it. They can feel it. And then we can talk about it. I think just the process of changing how we hit as a team and then going through that this year is what I'm most excited about and what I look forward to uh, doing more of next year. No, that's a great answer. So tell us something that you once thought was true, but you may have recently changed your mind about. I used to hate machines as a player for the same reason everyone hates machines. It's the timing issue. And then because I think I hated it as a player, I didn't add it. I didn't make it important as a coach. I've kind of changed that. And I, re- I think I realized a little bit better of how the body times and and the value of the machine being inconsistent with timing. And if you can actually get timing off a machine, it's really hard. But if you can, you're going to, you know, it's kind of the train ugly situation where if you can do that off the machine when the ball, you know, gets stuck in there or you get started too soon and you got to hover and wait or you're a little late and you got to speed it up. I mean, that's realistic. That's realistic game, um, game situations there. And so I didn't make the machine important. We used to have it in the, in the cage and, you know, go down, get to the machine. Not all kids would get to it. Be curveball, slider, fastball. But now it was the machines on the field. And so we're hitting curveballs on the machine, uh, on, uh, on the field from the machine every day. We're, we're hitting sliders. We're hitting fastballs. And it's a big part of what we do. And we're trying to create that situation where you're not on time. And then when you're not, what are you going to do? Figure it out. You know, you might have to speed up. You might have to slow down. You might be off your timing and you might look ugly. But that happens. Um, and then we incorporate that with the other angle toss. But I think the value in my perception of the machine and what's great and through Twitter, I actually I get a lot of people that send me um, video and direct messages. And and I've told just just lately, in fact, I told some guys to get on the machine and they're like, wow, you know, I used to hate the machine. But now that's the best I've ever hit off the machine based on, you know, some of the things of the, the timing and staying in the back leg and some sequence stuff that I've talked about. And, and I think that's been a big change and, and a big change in my perception of value of, of how that can work for a hitter. So I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a minute, but it brings me to something that I've really started to believe in, and that's mixed BP. We talk about making things game-like, but we don't in batting practice. So basically, mixed BP, you're not throwing a fastball at 50 miles an hour in the same spot at the same speed every single pitch. You're mixing in breaking balls and change-ups or even fastball speeds and locations. Because when do you ever see the same speed in a game? When do you ever get five cuts in a row in a game? And I understand that you want to develop some consistency with your swing, but let's have him compete. Let's have something on the line and let's make it game-like. You know, I felt like a lot of the coaching I was doing in the cages and I was making great cage hitters. Great, great cage hitters. And I'm like, 
the game's not played there. And so we started, and that kind of led me, we got to do something different. And we got to have uh, L screen at this distance and another L screen at another distance. And we got to create some angles. And we got to create some velocity. We got to, you know, what does your swing look like when you don't know what's coming? <laughs> and that's the difference between swinging and, and, and hitting. And you got to hit in game. You, you just can't swing. And, and you got to practice that. And you got to practice that. You got you got to make the game easier by making practice extremely tough on these guys. And they want to build confidence. And like you said, there has to be some. We're going to have some confidence rounds. We're going to have some normal rounds. But there's going to be some times where, look, guys, we're going to put a heavy bat in your hand, and I'm going to throw it really hard inside to you. And it's not going to always be perfect. But what's perfect is you experiencing it, and you're going to see the outcomes later on. And usually, I'll tell you, and going back to the machine, you know, every time we hit off the curveball machine and do some hover drills and we do, they learn to wait a little bit. We go to our regular BP. We hit so much better in our regular BP by doing all the drills that they do really poorly at, at that, you know, the, the tough stuff. And the confidence builds a great, a great deal from when their regular rounds are so much better. But they got that way because we did the ugly rounds. And then the ball's going out of the yard, and then they're leaving the park feeling great. And they're also willing to fail through those ugly rounds because <laughs> their confident rounds are so good, if that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training, so you're trying to get them comfortable being uncomfortable. So you mentioned earlier that you went through some self-discovery when you started your coaching career. So what are some of your favorite resources that have shaped your coaching career? You know, if you've been on Twitter, you, you've, you've probably gone through and, and there's a lot of people offering a lot of great information, whether it's, you know, Tewksbury or Jerry Brewer or, you know, just all the guys that have um, offered information through Twitter. There's a great deal of information there. And you got to be careful, too. I try to stay off YouTube. When a player goes, starts a sentence with, I was on YouTube the other day, I'm like, oh, no, yeah, That's yeah, let's, it's great that you're looking for information, but I'll maybe direct you <laughs> a little bit. If you don't want to listen to me, that's fine, but I'll direct you to someone that's probably a lot smarter than me. Um, but let me help you with that before you just go searching on YouTube. But yeah, there's a lot of guys putting out some great stuff and, and really just looking at swings, watch games. But getting on on MLB and and looking at the different swings of hitters and finding out what they do and you know I caution guys just trying to copy things, but identify and, and part of my Twitter feed too is I try to, I try to put out a wide range of different hitters because I know there's going to be different guys that I identify with different swings and I'm not trying to just put out one swing and and create a situation where people can find something. Uh, that matches them and i see it all the time the retweets are like uh hey this looks like you or you know and so they identify with different guys and, and that can help help them for those of you who don't know jerry brewer or bobby tewksbury they have absolutely influenced my career as well uh, bobby tewksbury is at tewkshitting.com and jerry brewer is at eastbayhittinginstruction.com and i think he's retired which is sad to say but I will also link those in the show notes. It's, it's good. It's really good. 
Well, Coach, thanks again for being on the show. And can you tell our listeners what your Twitter handle is and any other contact information that you'd like uh, if they want to get in touch with you? At Hyatt Craig, uh, H-Y-A-T-T-C-R-A-I-G. And basically, I'm just, you know, I have a link to some YouTube videos, some edited videos of guys that you can look through. But essentially, I'm just on there. My D DM is open, I believe, and, and, and people can contact me through there. I know there's a lot of guys already. It's open. So people send me videos, and I try to get to all of them and try to help them as much as I can. And the feedback that I get through um, those messages has, has sure been nice. It's interesting seeing who will, who will reach out. And I've, it's really cool. So, you know, some of the top programs, whether it's college or high school or even pro, it seems like the top ones all have some kind of presence through social media and they're doing great things and they're willing to uh, communicate and ask questions and talk to people. And it's really kind of cool to see the, the, the community, the learning community, just the baseball community through Twitter and uh, has been fantastic and, and the information that's being put out. And, and I'm just, again, I just hope I can continue to help people and make some use of what I do. And I really enjoy it. And as long as I keep on getting those messages, I'll keep on doing it. You've been a fantastic resource and everything that you do and you put out on Twitter is free. So thank you again for doing that. But is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? No, again, just I'm thankful for you doing this and being being on here and, and podcasts are a great resources, uh, a resource for a coach and and probably just, uh, you know, for me, I've just been very fortunate to have, you know, a great wife and family that have supported my coaching career. 20 years is a long time of three sports and doing summer. And then my obsession with video really comes from my dad. He bought, you know, back in 1990, whatever it was, a camera and videotaped all my games. And I was that kid that was watching videotape, going to the mirror, watching videotape, going to the mirror, practicing my swing. And I think him doing that and being such a great support for me, to me, has led me to this moment uh, to putting out video for other people and, and hopefully helping them. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. I would love to get in contact with you to hear your thoughts on the podcast. There are two easy ways to do that. You can email me at jgellner7 at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at AOTC underscore podcast. Also, do you like to share ideas and have conversations with other baseball coaches? Just go to facebook.com and search Ahead of the Curve Coaches to join our group. It's free, so what have you got to lose? If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating so others can find the show. Thanks for listening and have a great week.